COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, today we once again have one of the great New York Post writers on with us. Absolutely. Continuing our New York Post trend, uh, we've had most of beat writers on with us over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we're really, really happy he was able to find some time with us. Uh, he's the current New York Post uh, beat writer for the New York Knicks, uh, longtime Mark Berman. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Nick and Joe. Uh, finally uh, get to be on. Uh, I think we were supposed to do one and James Harden uh, got traded to the Nets and uh, right at that moment. So uh, I'm happy to be here. And uh, who else has been on from uh, the post? We had uh, Phil Mushnick, uh, Davidoff, Mike Puma. Um, so we got, we got a few people. We have other others others lined up as well so nice. look appreciate all of you guys taking the time I'm in good company absolutely yes, no, no doubt we'll about it Schwartz on too the other day too and he Paul was Schwartz, yes. Oh, okay. yes excellent so we always appreciate the the post people for taking some time out to speak with us and we, we always love uh you know just asking you guys to start off with when did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in sports journalism yeah I think uh, a lot of us uh, started in high school. Uh, you know, I worked for my school newspaper in uh, at Beach Channel High School in Rockaway and uh, worked for the local weekly paper called the Rockaway Wave covering Beach Channel High School sports. So, you know, it's always been a passion. And, you know, I loved the media even before that. In fact, radio was something that I was looking at, but, you know, it became uh, print journalism. And uh, in college, you know, sports editor of my college newspaper and worked for uh, in Albany, uh, went to Albany State and worked uh, for uh, daily newspapers out there. So, it, you know, the real uh, diehard journalists, you know, they started real young and you know what you want to do. And, you know, it's worked out well. And, you know, Paul Schwartz, we, uh, we went to the same college, worked for the same college newspaper, uh, the Albany Student Press. How brutal were those Albany winters? <laughs> Very brutal. It's really, I think because of global warming, maybe things are different now in Albany, but coming from Rockaway, which was cold, but going to Albany, the wind, the chilling wind. I mean, are you guys from upstate at all? We're from New York City. It's South okay. New York. But Albany, brutally cold, and spring break was just the greatest thing in the world because... You got out of that uh, horrible weather and uh, out to Fort Lauderdale. But yeah, well, Albany was uh, brutally cold. I think it's colder than Buffalo. It doesn't have the reputation, but you know, Albany was pretty damn cold. Yeah, I could have I definitely imagined. Now, what was your, your path like from when you graduated college up to the post? How did the New York Post opportunity come about for you? Yeah, well, you know, I worked for... Uh, uh, 
a Capital District uh, newspaper at graduation. Uh, it was called the Troy Record. I had worked for the Albany Times Union in college. That's where Paul Schwartz uh, worked. And uh, we were together in the same uh, sports newsroom. Uh, and, you know, I'm covering college hockey in Troy. The big uh, team there was RPI Hockey uh, with some future NHL players like Joe Juno and uh he was the best player I covered, uh, Darren Pupa. Uh, and from RPI Hockey, uh, you know, I also covered Saratoga. Uh, and that was a th real thrill in August, being in the press box with legendary daily news handicappers like Russ Harris and from the Post, John Pizan. And from there, I went to uh, uh, Mid-Hudson Valley, also Paul Schwartz. Worked there for uh, the Times Herald Record. We kind of have a very similar path, and uh, covered Army uh, sports, West Point, and uh, Monticello Raceway, and and then eventually did the New York City beat for the paper called the Times Herald Record, and uh, covered the Giants and some Knicks and Rangers, and uh, but hockey was a big passion of mine back then. And I, I first got to the post as the Islanders beat writer in 1997 uh, from my college hockey background and minor league hockey background and some Rangers that I covered. Uh, so, you know, hockey was really my entryway uh, to the post. And, you know, I grew up in Rockaway right on the border of Long Island and I was a gigantic Islanders fan. And it was really a dream come true to do the Islanders in the late nineties for the post. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a lot of you guys, uh, Long Island guys growing up a uh, lot of, I, I, we see a lot of Islanders fans, a lot of uh, Mets fans, a lot of Jets fans, uh, but you are the Knicks beat writer. So now you're, you're you do basketball, you cover the Knicks. Uh, how did you transition uh, from doing the stuff that you covered, which was predominantly uh, college hockey uh, you told really touched on some great uh, horse racing. I, I didn't even know that about you. So I was really great to learn. Uh, so how did you transition and when did the opportunity uh, to start covering the Knicks come about for you? Yes, yeah, so I was on the Islanders beat for two years. Uh, you know, they were bad then and they were still trying to get a new arena. I did so many arena stories back in the late nineties <laughs> of a new Coliseum. I mean, Belmont park was never a, a discussion. Brooklyn wasn't even a discussion back in the late 90s. And I had just gotten the gig at the Hockey News to do the uh, Islanders Weekly Notes, which is the Bible, you know, the Hockey Bible. And I was so thrilled. And I got a call from the former sports editor, Greg Gallo, who basically said, you know, you're doing a great job with the Islanders. Uh, the Knicks speed is now open. Kevin Kernan, had uh, done the uh, the Knicks. He only did it one season. I guess, you know, Kevin and Van Gundy did not see eye to eye. And uh, Kevin uh, preferred to be off the beat, uh, to do columns, and wanted to know if I wanted to do the Knicks. And I'll be honest, I was very mixed at the time. I loved hockey so much and loved doing the Islanders, but I realized it was a big promotion. Listen, the Islanders are great, but you know, the fan base is still Rangers uh, here in New York. Uh, and the Knicks are coming off the NBA Finals. And the irony is, I come into a situation where the Knicks are, you know, the, a dynasty almost. And the moment I got there, it was 
and people joke about it. The moment I got on the Knicks speed, it just was a downward spiral. And I don't know if I was the jinx, but, you know, 99-2000 was my first season. They did get to the conference finals. Then the next year was knocked out in the first round, and Jeff Van Gundy resigned soon after, and then it's been a nightmare. Although this season so far is not a nightmare, so I'm happy. But, you know, I, I got to the Knicks speed when they were the toast of the town and, and uh, the NBA elite, and who knew? Yeah, and Mark, there's, and, you know, you saw it, you know, in the, with Carl Anthony, when the Knicks are good, there's nothing like covering the Knicks. And the, I'm sure you noticed when the Knicks were great, there was so much more national attention coming into the press box and, and whatnot. But for you personally, when you're crafting stories here, is it easier for you to write about a good, consistent winning team? Or is it better when there's like some sort of scandal pops up or injuries or what, what kind of stories are easier or do you prefer writing? Well, with the Knicks, they've been losing for so many years. It's no longer fun to write about that. Knicks fans, they're tough on Twitter. If you write a negative story about the Knicks and they disagree with you, they are all over you. They they just want to read positive stuff at this point. I mean, early on, yeah, I mean, you got to cover their crash. But, you know, 20 years worth, they just don't want to read the negativity. And we could see when the Knicks lose a game, the readership is, is not as strong as when they have a big victory, like the last uh, two games. So um, at this point, the only stories that I really enjoy is, is when they're on the upward trend and Tom Thibodeau looks to be trending in the right direction. You know, just did a story talking to Van Gundy on the phone and Jeff is so delighted to see his protege really changing the culture. And, and those are the stories I could tell when I posted the Van Gundy piece an hour ago or two hours ago, I could see that the fans wanted to read that piece because Jeff was very positive about their players, about Quickly, about Mitchell Robinson, and just about how they finally are playing defense like they did in the late 1990s. So it was a fun story to write. Mark, this doesn't really surprise me at all, but some people are surprised at the fact that despite the fact that national media, they want to know about Kyrie Irving and the Nets, more people reading the New York Post want to know about if Emmanuel quickly is going to be starting point guard. So does that surprise you at all? And how does that make you feel knowing that as far as basketball goes in the New York Post, you're the guy, you're the one they want to read? No, it's really amazing how the Nets can build this dream team with Harden, KD, and uh, Kyrie and the Knicks, the stories for the Knicks are still read more. I think it might change. Now Kyrie is actually back. And I think with all three of them, I think they're going to get a lot more fans. I don't know if they're going to steal fans from the Knicks, but I think people are going to read about them more just out of curiosity. I mean, it's just a fascinating story over in Brooklyn, but the Knicks fan base is so strong. I've always been surprised that Brooklyn could not get any traction. You know, they moved, what, 2012 or 2013, and I thought they'd be a bigger deal coming from New Jersey, and they just did not steal enough Nick fans, if any. And, you know, our, you know, on the website, we're able to track, obviously, how many clicks each story gets, and, and the Knicks were, have always been far, far ahead of the Nets. Uh, 
it's they have great fans the Knicks they've stuck with them 20 years of you know mediocre basketball except for that one season in 2012-13 when they won 14 uh 50 game uh 54 games but I'm just always amazed at how passionate the Knicks fans have been, how loyal they've been, and they haven't gone to the opposite side of the East River. Not yet, at least. No, and I mean, if it, if it doesn't happen now, when is it going to happen? Exactly. Right. Uh, so you've been now at the Post for over 20 years. Uh, you've got to do a lot of different types of stories and cover a lot of different types of events. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, we've been in the midst of a global pandemic now for almost a, a full calendar year. And a lot of the, the, the questions that we've asked uh, your colleagues who have come on with us previously uh, and other people who have come on, uh, we, we've asked this a lot. How has your routine changed? Uh, what has been different? Uh, naturally, you're probably doing a lot more video calls and a lot more Zoom type of calls like this. Uh, so tell us the challenges of covering the team uh, over the course of the last year, what have you done differently uh, and your, your responsibilities and duties, how have that changed in, during all of this? Dramatically. It, it's, a, it's a different ball game now. I'll just pick it up for this season. Uh, you know, we're not traveling to the games. Uh, ordinarily tomorrow, I'd be on a flight to San Francisco, actually my favorite city in the United States, Knicks starting their four-game West Coast trip. And instead, I'm going to be watching it from television. We do the Zoom calls with the players, which is very impersonal. The Knicks don't even, on their Zoom, they don't even have the video going for some reason. Every other NBA team has the video. So some of the new players, like Emmanuel Quickly, he doesn't even know what I look like. So we're not allowed in the the locker room. Uh, He knows my voice. Uh, so we're not allowed in the locker room anymore. And so we go to the games at the garden, which is a challenge. We have to get there four hours before tip off to get tested. We go to the garden theater where they do a COVID test. We wait about an hour for the results. And then we go upstairs to the chase bridge, which is where they put us at. It's not a great vantage point, but I guess for safety reasons, we're up there, but just not being in the locker room. Uh, not being courtside before the game, chit-chatting with what agents and assistant coaches. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a much different situation for us. We're doing the best we can. Uh, listen, I've known Thibodeau for over 20 years. I knew Thibodeau, obviously, when he was the Knicks assistant, and we've always had a nice relationship. He's, he's really a nice guy. I know he's got that reputation as being obsessive, and he is, but you know, there's times where he'll just chit chat. And, and back in uh, 1999 and 2000, he would actually make fun of Van Gundy for being too intense. <laughs> and now he's assumed that uh, he's that guy now. But in terms of watching a game on television and not being able to go into the locker room after the game, it's, it's, it's difficult. And we only get a couple of players on Zoom but not to get the emotion of the locker room and also being inside the garden in an empty garden. I know it comes across well on TV because they have the fake crowd noise, but inside the garden, that crowd, that fake buzz is just annoying. It's, it's not that loud. 
And it's actually a little depressing. I was talking to Van Gundy about this, and he's not even going to the games. He's doing his broadcast from home. And being in an empty garden, and and late in the fourth quarter, Randall is making a great play, and Barrett is making a great play. And you don't hear the deafening roar of the crowd. You just hear this weird artificial noise. I still can't get used to it. I actually believe that that might play to the team's benefit a little bit because they're so young. So it's a little less pressure than dealing. Obviously the garden rocking, well, your adrenaline, the momentum and everything definitely will play a factor to it. But I do think that the no crowd right now kind of plays into their favorite a little bit uh, their favor a little bit. So you mentioned San Francisco, obviously the Warriors play there as your favorite destination. Uh, quickly speaking, what are your other favorite places that you like to go and what other teams and arena atmospheres would you consider to be your favorites when you're doing a season normally? Yeah, well, San Francisco, so now the team plays in San Francisco, but even uh, when the Warriors were in Oakland, all the riders always stay in San Francisco and either drive to Oakland or take the uh, BART train, which is a, a beautiful uh, suburban, well, not a suburban, but it's a, it's like the Long Island Railroad, but nicer. And uh so San Francisco now has the downtown arena, and it's a beautiful arena right on uh, the water. Uh, you know, I was only there last season, so it's it's definitely missed. But the second favorite city is New Orleans. Uh, listen, the, the fan experience for the games is, is not great. Uh, it's a football town. It's all about the Saints and LSU football. But being in that town... Uh, and listen, now Zion is there, so I never got a chance to see Zion actually in New Orleans. The Knicks game against New Orleans uh, was canceled because of COVID last season. So I don't know what it's like with fans uh, late last season uh, or last season. Uh, but yeah, New Orleans is just a great town. You guys have probably maybe been there, uh, you know, Bourbon Street and the French Quarter and just the restaurants and the live music. Um, I think all the riders would agree. It's uh, one of our favorite destinations. And, you know, as an NA, former NHL beat writer, you know, New Orleans was not on the circuit. So, uh, you know, that, that's a big plus uh, for the NBA. Although missing out on Seattle, now NHL is uh, going to get the Seattle yeah. uh, franchise. NBA will be next. And Seattle is one of the great cities in America, and there's no doubt uh, Adam Silver wants to be there. I wonder if I'll ever see NBA in Las Vegas because every other sports team is doing great there. I'm sure the NHL beat writers love going to Las Vegas for a few days. Well, we, we go in the summer for the summer league, right. and yep. it's the heart of the summer. It's 110 degrees. After three days, it gets a little taxing. I think a lot of people believe Las Vegas is a great three-day vacation. But after that, it you know, after all the casinos and all the it's buzz, it just gets too much, right? There's only so but, many buffets you can go to. Right, exactly. <laughs> and now, obviously, there's no buffets. But yeah. the thing with the NBA in Las Vegas, they had a great all-star weekend. Right. But, uh, I mean, it was, it was great for the fans, but there were some incidents, uh, some criminal activity at the clubs. And ever since then, Adam Silver... Uh, is not a big fan of putting the NBA in Las Vegas. He thinks it could be a powder keg. I think he's happy to have the, <laughs> right. the summer league there in July. 
and that's about it. I don't think they're going to get a team. Honestly. Better off bringing the Supersonics back. So yeah, that's, exactly. that's what I was saying. But, Mark, I wanted to ask you, since you've been covering the Knicks for, for so long, or maybe we could expand this into your NHL stuff, what are some of your favorite press conferences you've covered, favorite games, uh, also favorite coaches or players to interview? Yeah. You know, it's funny because David Fisdale was seriously one of the worst Knicks head coaches in history. I mean, it's not just a record. I mean, I saw it live. He didn't know who to put in. He didn't know who to take out. He In the final minute, they always ran the wrong play. But he was a delight to deal with, uh, you know, as a media guy. I mean, his quotes were fantastic. He was always in a chipper mood. Uh, so as a quote, I mean, I, I just enjoyed covering David uh, a lot. And Mike D'Antoni also. I thought he... I, I thought he didn't get enough credit because he did get to the playoffs. He just didn't get along with Carmelo Anthony, and for good reason. Carmelo really didn't want to play his style of speed ball, moving the ball. He wanted to be an isolationist. And, you know, Mike, that's not Mike's I offense. But he was also a delight to deal with. Uh, you know, uh, so those are the, my two favorite coaches. I only had Jeff for a season and a half. And I think I like Jeff better now than I did when he was head coach. He was really uh, very tough. And after some games, he was very dour. Um, but favorite press conferences. I mean, I've been to so many head coaching press conferences. The Knicks have had so many, so much turnover. I mean, Derek Fisher, it was a tremendous press conference. I thought he would be a great coach. He came right off the playing court as the best leader in the locker room. And he turned into a guy that, that didn't know. First of all, the triangle was a factor. He, he didn't really want to coach the triangle, but he just didn't even deal with the players well. It was a real shocker. But all those coaching press conferences, I always came away thinking the Knicks finally got this right. And I was always wrong. Yeah, D'Antoni, I think he uh, doesn't get enough credit because basically the way the whole NBA is played today is, is based on how he started things, and I'm sure that's exactly why Steve Nash wanted him on the staff. Yeah. Now, how do you toe the line between, if you're breaking news or something, between tweeting it out or getting it up on the New York Post so you could be the first to break the news? Yeah, it's a, it's a big issue, uh, and it's no one has the right answer. Uh, you know, you want to hold on. If you have a, a, a tip and a story, uh, do you wait until they finally post it or do you tweet it out right away? Cause you're afraid someone else is going to have it. And there's no right answer. You just follow your gut, your instincts from all the years in the business. Um, and I think that we tweet too much. I try not to tweet out news. I, I, I trust that I'm going to have this story for an hour at least that it takes to write and post. So I am very leery about tweeting something without my link. I think, Twitter is really hurting the newspaper industry. I feel we only should be tweeting our links to our stories. That's what keeps the New York Post alive. I think too many reporters, and I've had this debate with many of my colleagues, I think we're too fast to put stuff on our Twitter and it's not helping the New York Post or whoever is tweeting, it's not helping their organization. It, it, it hurts me when we're at a Zoom press conference 
And the moment I'm off the Zoom press conference, the best quote is already tweeted out by one of my uh, one of my comp competitors. And I feel, you know, save it for your story. Uh, it's a big issue, and I think that no one has the real answer, the real right answer. But I wish that we would be a little more conservative in uh, tweeting out stuff without our story links. Yep, can't disagree with anything there. And uh, Nick and I will make sure to at least read and see <laughs> that Van Gundy feature that you did because that's yeah. going to be very, very intriguing. And I always love JVG. And, um, yeah, he's great. We're going to make, we're going to make sure to do that. Uh, and you should have him on. Yeah. That'd be a great idea, Mark. <laughs> no, I mean, he loves, he, he, I will say he's, he's a much greater guy now than when he was a head coach. He was so obsessed and any media person that calls him, he tries to cooperate. I mean, he realizes this is an entertainment business and it's his job to entertain. And, you know, I'll pass along your information and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes on, you know, in the next week. Greatly would appreciate that. 100%. We're a big fan yeah, of him. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, Mark, we know you're very, very busy. We know you had to reschedule this a couple of times, uh, but we thank you for taking the time to, to, to at least answer a couple of our questions today. Uh, hopefully we'll have you on again in the future uh, when things are a little bit hectic. Obviously the Knicks uh, – at this point, uh, there, it's been a very, very promising start to the season. That must be exciting for you. So uh, we wish you the best uh, in the midst of, of, obviously, the pandemic we touched on before. Uh, continue your coverage. Uh, hopefully you guys stay safe. Uh, we always give our guests here the last word. So if there's anything else you would like to share, promote. Obviously, the Van Gundy story is a good one. But if there's anything else, uh, you go right ahead. The floor is all yours. Thank you again for taking the time to do, it with us, uh, do this with us. We really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Joe. Nick, you do a great job. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Knicks are going to be on the West Coast. So uh, the games end at 1 in the morning. So if you're up at that hour, you could, uh, you know, click onto the stories or the very next morning, you know, we'll have the full coverage. Unfortunately, we'll be covering it uh, from, from the TV, but we'll have the Zoom interviews and uh, we'll uh, try to keep you guys abreast as they're on the road. Looking forward to it. So that's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right. For our special guest, Mark Berman of the New York Post, from my co-host Joe Calabrese, I am Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.